Welcome, everybody, to the Joe Random Sports Podcast, the famous name from MLB The Show Career Mode started a group of fantasy leagues years ago. And today, we gather with longtime Joe Randoms, Stephen Thayer and Matt Ramirez to talk all things sports with other Joe Randoms. Our special guest today is two-time Joe Randoms champion, Bert the Chinchise Chen. It's going to be a good one today. We hope you enjoy. And remember, just keep swishing and don't strike out. All right. Welcome, everybody, to the Joe Random Sports Podcast. Uh, Steven Thayer, Matt Ramirez, alongside special guest Bert Chen. Bert, welcome to the show. We're happy to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me. That was a very professional intro. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Uh, well, Bert, uh, for our listeners out there, Bert was an intern with the Indiana Pacers in the analytics department. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. That's correct. All right. And uh, you spent some time in NBA Summer League. So I'm very, very excited for the show. Yeah, let's do it. Um, you guys watch any of the Olympics uh, recently? Uh, I have not. I watched a little, cur- like, just, like, randomly threw it on because I saw it saw it on Peacock and there's nothing else to watch. But watched a little curling, a little speed skating. The jump, the ski jumping where they're at like a 45 degree angle. I don't know what that one's called, but yeah, watch a little bit, but not much. Yeah. It's, I was watching a lot of the uh, figure skating. Um, I don't know what it is. I it's, it's hard to get into the winter Olympics for me. Um, I, I really like team events in terms of like, I like bobsled. I, I think curling's fun to watch. I, I mean, I think ice hockey's entertaining. Um, I like the team stuff, but, the individual stuff is a little bit harder for me. I don't know. I mean, it's cool to watch the guys do the the snowboarding stuff. I don't know what you guys think. <laughs> yeah, really subjective. Yeah, yeah. I was I was gonna say like the. Uh, I've always like I'm definitely ignorant of like you know how they do the scoring, but I always like hate all the sports where it's like the judge gives you a point after a point total after doing some routine like. Gym- same thing with gymnastics and figure skating and stuff. It just seems very subjective. Right. It, it gets tough when you're looking at aesthetic sports. Um, Andrew brought up a good point of track is, is the best because you know that there are certain times that you have to hit and, and it's a pretty clear cut ordeal. Um, it's literally who's the fastest or who throws it the furthest or who jumps the highest. Um, to me, that's, I mean, the epitome of the Olympics, but um, I guess I can still appreciate what these, these athletes can do. I guess I was just, I'm watching these and I feel like overall interest in the Olympics is down. And, um, and I don't know if it's that our generation just doesn't care or, or I don't know what, what might be the issue there. I think there's just less money. There's less star power. Like, Oh wait, I think the Olympics peaked for me, at least in 08 with Phelps, Bolt. Um, all those guys, but now, now there's just less star power and less marketing going towards all that. So I think that's a big reason. I think kind of Sean white is probably the only person I know in this whole Olympics. Uh, now that Lindsey Vaughn's done skiing. So yeah, it is pretty impressive though. These guys and girls are training for four years and to see like the, the legs burning on these cross country skiers coming down to the wire. I think that stuff's pretty cool, but yeah, I think the reason the interest is down, Steven, is because nobody nobody knows any stars anymore. 
Yeah, it's it's tough. You know, you, we we've talked about marketing for certain players in in baseball, especially or hockey, and it's it's hard to to I guess make somebody. I mean, Phelps was huge. Bolt was huge. Um, and I think in general, the Summer Olympics does better in terms of ratings. Um, but I I still I try to really watch for the the skill and the the physical aspect. Obviously, I'm interested in the the kinesiology aspect of this whole thing. So I, I try to find appreciation in that. But in terms of the you know who wins and who loses, I think a, a part of it is the Olympics used to be truly the all right we're going to put our best people forward. Other countries are going to put their best people forward, and we're going to see who does best. And now so many people train in different places. The training levels are so high. The philosophy, everything is advanced and you don't really get that same. All right. Like this, I guess maybe there's stylistic differences in in certain things, but um, it doesn't have that same mystique as it used to have. I don't know. Yeah. I would just say um, I haven't actually tried watching other countries broadcasts, but I do think the U S does a really bad job of like hmm. covering the Olympics. Like they, it's on like broadcast networks a lot, like NBC. Right. And right. so they do a it's lot only, of, it's like, like only on Peacock until prime time this year. Oh yeah. Um, so I mean like the time zone stuff is weird. Like some of these do rebroadcast and shit like that. But um, I would just say like, it seems like the U S does like all these like sob stories and stuff. And like, it's not really about the sport. It's like, Oh, this person's mom died. It's like two weeks ago. And it's like that for every single like U S athlete. Yeah. That's a huge turnoff for me. That's interesting. That's point. Yeah. I, I think they do that too, though, to try to like what humanize the, the try to make them more relatable. Right. And, and I don't know, maybe that strategy doesn't work. I don't think the American people want relatable though. Like we know nothing about Tiger Woods. We know nothing about MJ. Like the fact, I think LeBron kind of gets a bad rap because he's lip syncing rap videos in his underwear. You know, like I, I think like being able to see a guy like every day, every minute versus Jordan, when you see Jordan, it's like this mythical figure arising from the grave. Like I just think not knowing the athletes a little bit more. I think Bert, to your point, I haven't really thought about this before. So it's kind of off the cuff, but. Um, I think that's a really good point. It's interesting. Again, that, this was not what I intended to talk about today, but it was just thoughts that were rolling around in my head. I, I think it is important to talk about the Olympics if you are doing a sports podcast, but it just it just seems so in the background, and which is crazy. And that's also a testament to how big the NFL is. <laughs> um, yeah. Speaking of the Pro Bowl. I mean, is it, should they even just have it or can they just, can they just like put a star next to everybody's name and say, all right, you would have made the pro bowl. We don't need to play the game. I'm not discussing that. I just do a skills competition. And that game was garbage. Yeah. I don't know. I, 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 to be honest, I haven't watched any of it. Like I saw some skills comp clips on YouTube, but I think the skill stuff like is kind of cool. It just seems like with the sport itself, it's too, uh, like there's too much injury risk to like get people to actually try right Like you can get people to try in the all-star game for a quarter it seems like it's other sports don't have this problem but football like no one wants to blow their acl or something like tackling a dude in a in a pro bowl game yeah uh, i i understand why they're playing two-hand touch it's and it's cool to have all your your cool your some of your best players obviously not all of them play but i i agree i i think that 
it was better when you had the skills competition back in Hawaii, when you had fastest man and Warwick Dunn running forties against everybody. And you had the throwing competition, the obstacles, the, the Larry bench Allen press. bench press, yeah, <laughs> 44 reps on like that stuff was legit or the kicking competitions where they would like line them up in these different spots. And I mean, that was cool. Um, I don't know if it, it would still get the same kind of traction if they did it today, but as a kid, that was something I looked forward to Carson Palmer, longest throw, <laughs> you know, just fun stuff like that. Agreed. Yeah. Um, I think, I think they should like definitely lean into like doing the wacky, like skill stuff. Like, I mean, the NBA has a similar problem just to a lesser degree. Like I think a lot of people want to see like a one-on-one competition in the NF- NBA, but like mm-hmm. ego gets in the way of that among other reasons, but like you could do something like that at the NFL, right? Like one-on-one receivers versus corners and stuff like that. Just try to make them like, you know, you're not going to motivate them with like small sums of money to charity or anything, but like pride, right? Like I want to beat this guy in one-on-one coverage <laughs> on national TV. Their <laughs> one-on-one king of the hill for NBA would be awesome. You get three dribbles, <laughs> ball goes up. That would be awesome. That'd be something. Uh, I, yeah, you know, and this is part of why, Bert, you mentioned that, you know, you can try in the all-star game in, in the quarter for the NBA, but this is why the, the MLB all-star game is the best, in my opinion, is just because you're, if, if you don't try, you're going to get embarrassed. There's no not trying, you know, you're, you are, as a pitcher, you are trying to get every hitter out. And as a hitter, you are trying to get on base. Um, there's no, you can't fake baseball. Um, like the other sports. All right. Well, I think that's a enough little pre pre banter. Um, the NBA all-star game is around the corner. Uh, we will get to some all-star trivia uh, as we move into this episode, but we want to talk a lot about basketball today. We've talked fantasy basketball. Bert is a if Joe ball is fantasy basketball champion. It's I think it's been about nine, 10 years since your last title, but we still count you as a, a two-time champion. Um, but uh, we, we haven't really talked a lot about NBA. So it's a great time to look at it. We're, we're halfway through the year, a little bit more than halfway through the year. Bert, being a, an analytics guy, what have you seen in terms of injuries, in terms of who's surprising you? What what does the landscape look like for you? Um, I mean, if you're talking about like, legitimate like you're willing to bet money on teams to win a championship i don't think it's honestly changed too much other than the lakers like tanking the nets potentially being tanked and then the warriors kind of surging from like mid playoff team to like top two in the west right like phoenix is still there i think milwaukee is still you know probably a betting favorite in the, coming out of the east uh, i know the record doesn't necessarily show it right now but uh yeah, I think, uh, but in terms of like solid playoff teams, like there's definitely been a lot of surprises in my opinion. You know, the the Grizzlies surging to a top four in the West, um, the the Cleveland, which has been like a great story all year, and a lot of a lot of movement in like the mid to low playoff teams. Yeah, I mean it's it's interesting to see the Grizzlies in the kind of the second tier of the West. I would never have seen that come in. John Morant's proven to be the Bird, I know you're a Zion guy, but proven to be the best guy out of that class. I, the one thing that I'm kind of surprised about so far is how little the Bucks get talked about. Um, they're only a couple games out of first in the East, and they still have Giannis, Middleton, 
holiday. It's interesting to see how little fanfare they're getting. Kind of reminds me of the Spurs back in the day where they got a lot of really good players but don't get talked about a whole lot. Um, by the way, did you guys see uh, Boban trying to fix the rim the other night? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's was... so damn big. <laughs> I kind of feel bad for the guy. That's got to be tough to be 7'4". Hey, he's got he's got more endorsements than a player of his stature deserves. So he's living large. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> um, now our Warriors been an unbelievable start to the season. It's not really even a start anymore. They're they're doing awesome. They're two and a half out of the Suns in the Western Conference, and we haven't even been at full strength all season. Um, the biggest question that has been kind of swirling around is do they make a move at the trade deadline? Do they add anybody? And it seems like the arrows are pointing towards no. Bert, from what you've seen and heard, uh, do you th- do you think anybody would be a good fit? Or do you think they're really just banking on James Wiseman coming back and, and hoping to be productive? Yeah, so I think where I kind of land on this is I think there's theoretically – good trades that you can put together that would help the Warriors now um, for, you know, the next two years without like, you know, aside from going all in for another star. Uh, But it seems like the warrior, like I would be very surprised if something happens just because it seems like the Warriors aren't like the management is in total agreement with that. Uh, I will say it seems like, uh, I don't know, from all the messaging from like Joe Lacob and Bob Myers and stuff, they're very obsessed with this idea of like being the next generation Spurs and like all the youth and stuff, right? And like, I get it. Like they have, they have drafted like some good, interesting players. Um, But at the end of the day, like where I kind of land, be interested to hear what you guys think is like, uh, there is a very low chance any of these guys, despite how good some of them looked, will ever be as good as Steph Curry. So, like, you should probably, you know, put more of your chips into the table uh, these next two years. Yeah, Bert, I'm, I'm along the same lines. As you guys can probably tell with my fantasy trades this year, I'm kind of an all-in guy. Like, to go to be they're, – they're in a really weird situation. I don't know if many teams, like, have been in this situation before where – they have a lot of nice young pieces. They have these 30 to 33-year-old guys who are kind of in the back end of their prime. And um, I would love to see a Wiseman package for some sort of upgrade. I don't know what that looks like, but um, I would love to love to see something like that. It's such a deep team. And the coolest part for me is you have these older, younger guys, right? You guys like JTA and Damian Lee, uh, I'm, I'm blanking. Gary Payton, <laughs> Gary Payton. Uh, they're they're like not rookies, right? But they they they're hungry, and I think you get some maturity with that. And I think you you can get they're actually playing hard, right? They're they're playing hard off the bench. They're filling a role, and and they're 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 going to give you your best. I just love seeing Gary Payton on the court. Um, the boost that he gives defensively, um, Damian Lee, albeit he's consistent, inconsistent at times, but he, he gives you a boost like he did the other night. It's pretty impressive to see that. And they're, they're playing positionless basketball. So that's kind of, 
I guess the the new wave of things, at least what I'm seeing. I know they they've been wanting to try to get a big, you know, that Wiseman potentially could could be that guy. I heard a rumor today that they should get Mark Gasol uh, back from from Spain, but I think they're pretty content with what they're doing, and especially what Bert they're like they're like 40 million above the luxury tax too, I think. So they don't have an in, much of an incentive. From what I've read, like where I kind of land is, uh, I think total team salary plus luxury tax were approaching like 400 million uh, for Joe Lacob and, you know, their ownership. And it seems like, you know, they've been giving some hints that like there is an upper limit of what they'll pay. It might be like that four hundred million figure. Uh, so it seems like you know from that perspective, they don't really want to add a lot of like veteran salary. Uh, they got these guys on rookie deals, which actually aren't that cheap anymore. I think Wiseman is making almost like ten, if not more, like around really? ten million. Yeah, oh. as a number two overall pick. So I mean, that's actually like not really a traditionally cheap rookie contract anymore. But either way, like. Um, now you're getting these guys for a couple years for pennies compared to like what they would make on their next contract. And what? but the, the challenge is it's difficult to match contracts for trades, right? So like uh we don't we have like a bunch of max dudes and then a bunch of minimum guys and then the rookie contracts, which are like in the middle, and you can put them together to get like to 20 million for trade purposes or something, right? But um, then you have to trade all of the young guys, which like we probably don't want to do. So it's it's tricky to like strike that balance. So, Burr, what like what even players could they even package it together for? Like Sabonis doesn't seem like an ideal fit, even though he'd probably be an upgrade offensively. But like, there's just not that many guys available besides Simmons, of course. Yeah. So I think like if you know if I was magically Bob Myers and I could. Actually, probably I would have to be Joe Lacob. Like, I imagine he's kind of meddling and pulling the shots. Um, I think you can probably aggregate. I haven't run the numbers, but with a couple minimum guys, maybe you have to throw in Moody. Uh, with Wiseman, you can, you know, probably get up to the 17-ish figure that Miles Turner is at. That would be something that I would be interested in. Um, there's been talk of, like, Christian Wood. I'm not a big fan of Christian Wood, but that's, like... a you know, uh, easier options. I think Wood is on like 13 million a year. So you could probably aggregate up to him without too much difficulty. Uh, whether those teams would do that, it really depends. I feel like Wiseman is kind of divisive in that we haven't seen much. And, you know, the tools are interesting, but he's been like a super negative player whenever he's actually played. Um, I've always been kind of low on Wiseman. Like personally, I didn't agree with drafting him number two. And like, I don't know. I think they should sell high, but there seems like the Warriors are drinking the Kool-Aid. <laughs> when, when you were with the Pacers in the analytics department, what were some of the things that, that you guys looked at when, uh, or, or did you look at potential guys to draft? Um, I don't know if you got to take a look into Kaminga, but I'm curious um, what he would have showed up on your spreadsheet as. <laughs> yeah, so I was there for the uh, 19-20 season, so I don't think the, the current rookies were on their radar as much, but I was there for like three months leading up to the Anthony Edwards, LaMelo, Wiseman draft, right? Um, 
I think generally they're uh, they definitely do run analytics on you know the the prospects coming in. Uh, how much they weigh the analytics versus you know scout it, scout reports and like executive you know thoughts or whatever. Uh, I'm not super clear on, but you know they do run the analytics on them. Um, and it did seem like, from what I remember, uh, there was no, uh, analytically, there wasn't really anyone that was, like, amazing coming in the draft. Like, there was a lot of talk about how it was a weak draft, which might not turn out to be true. Like, there's some good players coming out of it. Um, I think Halliburton was actually, like, probably analytically one of the best players just because he was super efficient. And then, uh, yeah, I think... Lamelo was probably also up there, but it's a little difficult to like because he didn't shoot that well uh, in Australia. And but like you have to basically apply like a strength of schedule adjustment to like his Australian numbers and like adjust that diff. You know that's a different adjustment versus NCAA numbers. And like Wiseman didn't really even have NCAA numbers, so you know that opens a whole new can of worms. Or how did you balance um, or how do you personally balance like analytics versus like feel for the game and that kind of thing? Yeah, it's uh, I mean, it's, it's tricky. Like I think um, I think the analytics for like generally speaking, right at the college, let's just say at the college level, um, you know, like so there's some easy, easier stuff like shooting tends to like shooting is derived from like, you know, the their three-point percentage in college and their free throw percentage is, like, kind of generally how good of a jump shooter you are. You do need, like, contextual information on, like, how hard were these shots, right? If you have, like, shot location, shot difficulty stuff, that helps a little bit. Like, if a guy is shooting 40% on, like, only 50 attempts through the college season and most of them are, like, catch-and-shoot corner threes at the shortened, you know, college line, that's different from a guy who's, like, pulling up off the pick-and-roll and stuff. Um, and then I think like, uh, the other metrics that generally tend to translate, they're like rebounding, um, and then steals and blocks kind of like, not necessarily that they, uh, you know, translate perfectly, but it shows generally like, it'll show either this person is like crazy athletics. So they're getting a lot of blocks Mm. or they have like great timing and like instincts. Right. And they're able to do that. And like, both of those tend to translate. It's just like, you know, there's limitations to like, you have great instincts, but can you actually do it at the NBA level or you're crazy athletic? Or are you crazy athletic at the NBA level, right? Yeah. Uh, that, when I was at Michigan State, I know Tom Izzo, if you look at all of his teams, he preaches the things that you can control. Um, can you rebound? Can you play defense? And can you shoot free throws? Things that should translate in what, no matter what arena you're, you're playing. Um, now you, you mentioned efficiency. Um, can you explain to some of our listeners that might not know what that is and kind of what that entails? I think you were alluding to it, but um, when you say Halliburton's Burton's an efficient player, what does exactly that mean? Yeah. So it, it's kind of two, two things, right? So it's like shot distribution. So like what kind of shots are you taking? Where are you taking them? And then it's when you're shooting and then it's like the percentage, right? Like when you're shooting these shots, how often do you score? And, um, you know, Halliburton 
again, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but generally like he was pretty efficient uh, in terms of like his shot distribution. I think a lot of his shots were at the rim or, you know, out uh, beyond the three point line. He shot really well from three. And uh, I think he shot pretty well from free throw percentage as well. I think the only really knock on him was like he's a little skinny and then he has a little unorthodox shot release. He shoots Um, weird. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, you know, that opens the other can of worms, right? Like Lonzo is a good example of like, I think he was a pretty good three-point shooter in college, but he had that wonky form that took a couple years to to fix. And now he's a good uh, three-point shooter again. Um, So, you know, there's always like caveats to it just because a guy does the percentage in college, you know. Um, Another good example actually is in this draft, uh, Davion Mitchell, which is like a 45% three-point shooter uh, before coming before declaring for the draft in his junior year but he like was a 60 percent i think free throw shooter um he didn't shoot the three well in his two previous college seasons so there are a lot of questions of like is this shooting real right um and i think so far at the nba level like i think he's hit some pretty hard threes like i've seen a couple kings games but like his percentages aren't good um as a rookie you know they might they may or may not improve but uh you know, there's a, that is the issue, right? Is that small sample size and all of that are like huge caveats to the few college metrics that you can actually use. So when you look at statistics, is it, what is it? PER or RER? Is that what the efficiency? So yeah. So PER is player efficiency rating. Um, Actually like would recommend people don't use that. Like PER is a pretty old outdated stat at this point. Um, what we, what I, I'll, I'll just speak for myself. Like what I think is the most useful are usually those like plus minus derived stats. Mm. So um, there's, you know, there's a bunch of variations of this with various acronyms, but I think it it's the, does the best job at like capturing uh, not everything people do shows up on box score, right? Like Warriors fans know like Draymond is a perfect example of that is um, at the end of the day, what matters is like when you're in the game, uh, are you is your team winning more, which is like what all these plus minus derived stats ultimately are trying to get at, and you know they try to get that that with various ways and like math that can get pretty complicated, but you know that's that's the goal, right? And whether the model does a good job of that is up for debate, but I think you know, ultimately that's the re- direction you want to go versus looking at someone's like box score. So, what type of stats should I be looking up here? Um, so I mean, the classic is, uh, there's a metric called RAPM stands for like regularized adjusted plus minus. Um, the thing with that one is it's not very stable. Uh, it's very, so like general, uh, thought that people have in the analyst community is like, that's like the best stat, but it's works the best over like a three year sample basically. Um, which is like not that useful, right? If you have a rookie or, you know, whatever situation, like people get injured and then fall off in a span of three years. So that's like the, the caveat to it, right? But there's a lot of other like similar um, ones. And what they do is they make some adjustments. They make some assumptions that like people with good box score stats are generally, uh, it's called a prior, right? It's like we are biasing the model towards people with certain box score stats and that helps it like stabilize for you know half a season or a season 
I won't get into the math or anything, but there's a couple, there's one called like PIPM, which a guy puts out on um, publicly on his website. Mm. Um, RPM, I think is a little controversial in the analyst community, but like historically that's the SPN's RPM is like doing something similar. And the end goal is just, like I said, to try to measure like what's your impact on the point differential when you're playing uh, while adjusting for, you know, the, the, te- the level of competition that you're playing against, like adjusting for your teammates. And they do that by like measuring it with various lineup combinations, basically. When you were in the NBA, did you see like decisions be made chemistry wise? Like if someone didn't fit well with other guys or how did that, did that fall into the equation at all? So, I mean, that could, that can show up in plus minus data, right? So like you can do, like that might show up in someone's individual plus minus, like they, it's a bad fit or whatever with the team. Um, it, you can look at like two man, three man units. So like Steph and Draymond on like their plus a million or whatever. Right. So like that's, you can get at chemistry a little bit there. Um, but it's like chemistry is difficult to measure. Right. I think that's where you need like communication with the coach and like people on the floor and on the team to like, is this guy good in meetings and like, you know, is he great with his teammates and that kind of thing? Like, I think totally. Steve, that's kind of what I wanted to know if there was that yeah. communication. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I mean, it, I think a very, the other thing too is like, it's hard to speak about the NBA generally. Cause like one thing I will say is uh, like, all these teams in the analytics departments are like very secretive, right? Like they all think they have some secret sauce or some method that, you know, puts them ahead of their competition. And so like, they're not really willing to share stuff between teams, which probably limits like, you know, if all of these teams are collaborating, theoretically, you probably do a better job on a whole but then like they don't have their individual advantages of like, Hey, we figured out this thing and like, we don't want to share it with anyone. So no one else gets to build on that. Right. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. The learning curve, it just takes longer, I guess, before everybody figures it out. (laughs) Yeah. So you said, was it RAPM was the one that. Yeah. So RAPM is pretty good. That's probably like the general, like gold standard. Um, But there's it's limit it's limited in the sense that like you want to look at multi-year sample sizes generally um so some people have made versions of rapm that are better for like individual seasons um yeah yeah. i was gonna say because you know obviously if i'm on the floor with with stephen curry and clay thompson like i'm gonna look pretty good right i mean for the most part yeah so that's why you that's part of the reason why you want those uh multi-year samples right so like uh it gets tricky when like two players lineup wise are like tied at the hip right Mm -hmm. so like for example say you know curry and draymond they don't but say they play a hundred percent of their minutes together they never get injured and they have the same rotation pattern every single year right it's going to be difficult to separate out their impact because really what like the models are going to do is they're going to look for those minutes where Steph is on the court and Draymond is off and the minutes where Draymond is on the court, Steph is off. And if there's not enough minutes for a sample size there, then like the model is going to make some wonky decisions basically. So it's, it's like Brady Belichick then. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Montana rice. (laughs) Um, Okay. Um, Well, cool. 
Uh, that's that's some really good uh, good insight. Oh, you guys hear that? That means it's yeah. time for our Joe Random segment. Three in the key. Three in the key. Burton, Matt, I'm going to hit you with three basketball all-star game related trivia questions. You'll have only three seconds to answer, and whoever whoever answers first co- correctly will get the point and won't be called for three in the key. All right. First question. Where is the all-star game this year? Cleveland. I got no clue. <laughs> point for Bert. <laughs> <laughs> Second question. Who has the most all-star game selections? Kareem. Kareem. You go first, Matt. Correct. Bird got it. Oh, actually, I was going to say Kobe. <laughs> oh, I thought I heard Kareem. No. Uh, okay. That was me. Oh, Matt got Kareem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. One point for Matt. All right. Which of these has never won a three-point contest? Paul Pierce, Steve Nash, Ray Allen, Dirk Nowitzki. Dirk. Uh, I think Steve Nash. Nash has not won a three-point contest. So there's, there's one for Bert. So Bert takes that round of three <laughs> in the key. We'll, we'll come back to this later in the show. All right. Um, so Curry, we talked about him a little, I, well, I, I wanted the, the Kings thing. You got Davion Mitchell, you got Tyrese Halliburton. Did, did they trade De'Aaron Fox? Do you, do you see a, a fit for him? I mean, he's got a huge salary. Yeah. So I think if I were the Kings, I would look, I would try to look at trading De'Aaron Fox. I think ultimately like Halliburton is going to be better than him. It kind of sucks. Cause like, Fox had a pretty good year, I think, last year, and you're kind of trading him on during his bad year. But if he was still having a good year, you probably wouldn't, you know, entertain the thought of trading him in the first place. So it kind of goes both ways. Anyway, um, yeah, I, I think like ultimately, like Halliburton will be like he's not going to have as pretty box score numbers, but I think he's ultimately like a more impactful player. Uh, and then you know he still has two years, I think, on the rookie contract after this year. So, and the Kings aren't going anywhere as currently constructed. So, if I were them, I'd try to get something for Fox, assuming the right deal is out there. Um, in terms of like where he would fit, I, I think that's a little tougher question. Like, I think the classic that gets talked about a lot is Ben Simmons, which I think like if that's on the table, like the Kings should do it. Uh, but I don't doesn't seem like that's on the table. It seems like you know the Sixers are looking hunting for bigger fish than De'Aaron Fox. Um, well, no, I, I think yeah. I read something this morning that said that the Kings turned down like Halliburton and Fox for Simmons. Oh yeah, I mean you shouldn't trade both of them. I wouldn't <laughs> do that if you can get like Fox plus I don't know Buddy Heal. Like I don't know exactly how how you'd have to structure it right now for salary purposes, but something like Fox healed maybe Barnes for Bagley. Yeah. A Bagley, you know, like whatever you have to do to make the salary match. But yeah, I definitely wouldn't give up uh, Halliburton and Fox. That'd be, that'd be pretty dumb. Okay. Um, a big question this year was, it has been Curry's 
percentages. Um, they, they've been down. He kind of started off really hot. Obviously, he's still a beast, but considerably lower percentages than his career averages. Um, do you have anything on that in terms of what you've seen um, skill-wise, mentally, physically? First thing I would say is by the numbers. I actually was looking at this in, in prep for this. Ah. I figured it would come up. Um, so he's actually he's shooting pretty well um, in the mid-range. Like his percentages haven't really changed. He doesn't take a lot of mid-range shots, but like you know his his percentages there are like mostly in line with what he's done historically. He's down like I want to say ten percentage points. It's like he's down a quite a bit um, at the rim, which I think people have noticed. Like he's been breaking some layups that we're used to him making. And then um, from three, I didn't check this last night, but I remember um, at the middle of his like cold spell, he was like shooting really uncharacteristically poorly on like open threes, basically. But like his percentages on like tightly guarded threes was like not too different. I don't know if that's still the case right now, but like those are like the numbers are kind of showing. I think like, uh, you guys have probably noticed like the room finishing has been kind of inconsistent. I don't know what can, you can really attribute that to uh, the three pointers. Like he's been missing open ones. Like we're used to him making like, seems like almost every three pointer, but um, there's been talk about like, he, he had some story where he talked about like his mechanics as well. So I don't know how much I believe that. Uh, yeah. I don't know. It's uh it's interesting to see. Like uh, I don't know if this is a blip in the radar or, is this is the start, you know, he's 33, I think now, like this is the start of like a slight decline. Like, I think he's still definitely a top 10 player, probably a top five player. Yeah. I mean, I, I test wise, I would think the stuff at the rim would be probably his stylistically, his first thing to decline. So as sad as it is to say, I think that's, that's a decent take um, just based off the eye test. Like I haven't looked into the numbers or anything, but, Seems like he's not making. He used to, to me. He used to, he and Kyrie used to be the two best finishers at the rim. Creativity, touch off the glass. He used to have those shield it off with his body, kind of throw it high off the glass. And um, seems like a lot of those are falling out more than they're falling in. Curry will be thirty four next month. I, that is interesting. You bring up that he was missing a lot of open threes because my next question was gonna was gonna be: Are teams defending him differently? Um, and and I don't, and and maybe they are, maybe they aren't. But it was just interesting to see last season how he had no help on the floor, and yet he was carrying the team, just being destroyed by like three or four guys every possession. It seemed like, so I didn't know if there was any defensive adjustments that guys, uh, other teams have made. Yeah, um, I'm not, a, I'm not like by any means an expert in like X's and O's, but I will say like. I don't think there's been like I don't think teams have figured it out him out really. If anything, like he has better spacing this year than he had, had last year, and like I think teams are always gonna like double him coming off the screen, and you know they're they're gonna overhelp from there. So I don't think like I think it even though he's not hitting, he's being defended like he's the same guy, right? So that's how you get all those like wide open cuts for like, Gary Payton and you know all the other bench players. Um, the only thing that could I could see changing is like if if he has lost a step in terms of like getting to the rim, 
maybe teams are more willing to play up on him or switch and put a big on him or something. Um, maybe they're not as scared of him blowing by and getting to the rim and they like sell out even more for three pointers. From a strength and conditioning perspective, you know, Curry's looks as good as he ever has from a, you know, a physical standpoint, he, he's added some muscle. Um, and usually that works to your advantage. You, you add muscle, you're, you're going to be more resilient to injury, which I think he has for the most part. He hasn't missed extended period of time um, with you know ankles and, and weird other things. So I, I, I think that helps a little bit, um, but I don't know at what point does it hinder more pressure on your joints and, and just more time to recover more, more fatigue, something like that. That's an interesting question. Cause from a, from a strain coach perspective, I'm always going to support, Hey, you should probably add a decent amount of muscle. You should probably maintain as best as you can. You know, you don't want to, you don't want to discourage the weight room. Um, but I, I am curious if maybe he's, he's put more pressure on his joints that he's not used to. From an uh, avid pickup basketball player, especially pre COVID after when you're lifting weights and shooting, like there is a certain amount of um, it's like a weird discrepancy between feel. So like after you lift weights, your feel is completely, it feels like you're shooting underwater almost sometimes. So I don't know, like Steph definitely looks bulked up these last couple of years, but last year he had one of his best seasons ever. So who knows? Yeah. I, I don't think it's necessarily, Oh, you just lift it and then you're shooting. I, I, I wouldn't because they're not doing that. I, I would imagine they're probably micro dosing his his workouts. He's probably getting a workout earlier in the day. I don't think he's and some guys like to get a quick pump and then shoot. Um, I mean, you wouldn't you wouldn't go golf after you just lifted a bunch of weights. Um, so, I mean, I don't think it's necessarily that, but it could just be a, a cumulative stress over time that's starting to finally show itself on the stat sheet. Yeah, I, w- I would say with Curry, like, I think historically he tends to shoot better, like, later. He has, like, a hotter streak later in the season. Um, that said, like, this is an unprecedented, like, cold spell that he's starting to maybe lift himself out of. But, you know, he's he's never shot, like, this poorly over, like, a month or two, basically, right? And so it, it definitely is some cause for concern. Um, not everyone's going to be LeBron. But like you would think with the way Curry plays his game, like he would age pretty gracefully, even if like the rim stuff is real. Like he's still a good rim finisher. He was just like a ridiculous rim finisher historically. I think he's up to like I think I, I was looking at the numbers. He's like his best years, like high 60s percentage at the rim, which is like, you know, a lot of centers don't even do that, right? Um it's like LeBron so, numbers. Yeah. So it's, uh, you know, at, at the end of the day, like, I think the, the bad shooting season from Curry so far is still a better shooting season than, like, most people. Like, I think he's more efficient than Trey Young at the moment, even though, like, people are giving him shit for, like, how he's, he's shooting. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's possible that, like, you know, the rim stuff continues um, and maybe he has to adjust. Like, he's taking more threes every single year. So maybe he just ends up chucking more and more threes and maybe that's related to, you know, the percentage going down, but he's always taking bad threes. So I don't know. And this is a question for both of you guys, Stephen, from a physical perspective, Bert from an analytical, but what are your thoughts on clay and kind of getting back into it and where he's at? Well, from a physical standpoint, I think. Does he look normal? 
Um, you know, I, I guess I got to watch more, but what I, what I will say is from what I've seen, I think the Warriors are going to keep them on some sort of a minutes restriction, some sort of load. That's very easy for these teams to do. They have that down to a science. And I imagine that the whole Warriors training staff is in on that and, and Kerr and, and Lakeup and Myers. They, I, I think we're going to see minutes load on him until the playoffs really. And even into the playoffs, I don't think you're going to see clay play, you know, 35 plus minutes a game uh, that much at all. So I think that's a big part of it. I think uh, he had, he looks like he's moving well. I, I, I really say, I don't, I don't, I can't say if he looks like old clay, but uh, you know, when, when guys get injured like this, there is an opportunity to actually move better after the injury. You might not be as you might not have as many hops as you used to have, or you might not have the strength that you used to have, but he does have the ability to move better. And I, I think from what I'm seeing so far, it's, it's encouraging. And I think that in the long run will prove to be better in terms of his shot and uh, his overall injury resiliency. So I'll say that it's positive in that regard. Now, Bird, maybe you can describe in terms of like fit in the offense and uh, and how he's actually doing statistically. Yeah, I mean, um, I haven't di- I haven't dived into his numbers. Um, he's only played eleven games this season, but uh, like I, so far, I think his his percentages are a little down, but it's not too much. Like he's a career like forty one ish three point shooter. I think he's shooting like 37 or 38 right now. Um, which is like, I think, uh, to be expected after, you know, that's understandable after taking so much time off. Uh, I think I have noticed, it seems like he is, um, like dribbling and ball handling a lot more. I do wonder, I mean, that's just, I haven't looked at the numbers in terms of like your play usage or anything, but I agree um, visually. Yeah. I do wonder if it's, you know, it's been a couple years since we saw Clay as like the second option on offense way back since like 15, 16, right? Every, every year since then, like Durant's been on the team and Clay's been more of a spot up shooter. So I think that's helpful because like, um, you know, the Warriors don't like to just pick and roll ISO, but uh, like we, you know, other than Curry and Jordan Poole, there's not a lot of guys that can create their own shot off the dribble so like if clay can do that a little bit more and be efficient while doing it like i think it's helpful for their offense and it's always at the end of the day even if you can't do that like worst case scenario you screen with him you throw him in the corner like you're basically play four and four with clay out there at worst right yeah and uh, it'll be interesting when Draymond comes back too. I, I think that is part of why maybe he's holding the ball a little bit more or being more of a ball handler. And I could see Kerr, you know, wanting to have the ball in a veteran's hands, especially Iguodala's kind of been banged up and he's, he's been one of our primary ball carriers too. ball carriers, ball handlers. Um, so yeah, that, that's what I would say on that, Matt. Makes sense. Yeah. I mean, he looks decent physically but um i was interested to hear yeah like the the perspective of the analytics and how he can fit in that's that's interesting that he's i like visually i mean he definitely seems like he's ball handling more and he's not shooting quite as well but seems like he's on the right track to me yeah he's positive um all right so i was going to ask about chris paul real quick because when curry is off 
you know, it, it doesn't seem like there's much else that we get from him. Um, I mean, there have been some painful games lately where he's, he's been off and we're like, crap, he's actually better on the bench right now. Um, but when Chris Paul is off, you know, he's such a good passer. He's really good defensively. He can shoot the three. He has a mid range. He can drive and he's doing this deep into his thirties. I've never been a Chris Paul fan, um, but I, I'm starting to respect that aspect of his game. Bert, you were interviewing for the Thunder, I think, and I think Chris Paul was on the team at the time. I don't know if they had you put together any models or any things like that for him, but I don't know if you have anything on Chris Paul. <laughs> yeah, so I don't think he I don't think he was actually on the team at the time. I think when I was interviewing there, I want to say it was uh, either 1617 or you know one of those years. I was probably one of the best years, but anyway, like I think for Chris Paul, like he's always been one of the like analytics starlings. Like he, uh, he shoots pretty efficiently everywhere. He draws fouls and he's a good defender for, especially like for guard, but generally he's, he's just a good defender. And then he like has a super low turnover rate, right? That's stuff that you don't tend to notice, you know, when you're watching the game necessarily, you're never like, Oh wow. He didn't turn the ball over. Right. But like over 40 minutes, over 82 games, like that adds up a lot. And that's kind of why he's, he's such an analytics darling. Um, I, I do think like he's, you know, people kind of talk about like, oh, is, who's the best player on, on Phoenix? I think it's still Chris Paul. Like he's, uh, he's, he's overall like more impactful than Devin Booker, which is ironic ironically i think he's averaging like 14 points or 15 points or something on the season but like he's the guy that people talk about in the mvp conversation right are you gonna keep him oh yeah um honestly i am tempted to it really i'm deciding between him and zion um it's like would i rather bet on chris paul continuing to not decline as much or would i rather bet on zion playing a full season and i don't know which one is a worse bet right now probably zion to be honest <laughs> he's a big boy bert has had cp3 on his fantasy team for i think much of our fantasy league history <laughs> cp3 has been one of the guys that's been around i think every single year in the joe randoms not too many of those guys so um okay well, I got one. I got one more quick one for Bert. Is Russell Westbrook the worst analytical player of all time? Um, so I think this year I, I haven't looked at his numbers, but like probably pretty bad. He's um, like eighteen seven and seven on like forty two percent from the field, like thirty from the from three and sixty six from free throw. Yeah, so I mean, like historically, it wasn't that bad, right? Like he's always been a bad three-point shooter and he shoots shots that he shouldn't but he kind of made up for a lot of that with like his rim attempts he's actually like not if i remember correctly uh he's actually not like some amazing rim finisher but like he could get to the rim like he has a ton of shots at the rim and he's good enough you know as a guard where it's like you could generate like league average offense just throwing him on the on the court but that's clearly not the case now um he's always been a i mean everyone he's a frustrating player just because like you feel like you like if it feels like he could be a lot better if he just dials some stuff back but it doesn't seem like he's ever willing to do that 
Um, and then to top it all off, like he's this like a- athletic monster, but um, he's bad defensively. Like he, it's like a thing where he, you know, people talk about like defense. It's like there's three types of guys. Like uh, they can't, they won't, or they don't know how. <laughs> it's like, and he's like either won't or don't know how. Like maybe both. Yeah, maybe probably maybe both. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> oh, do you guys hear that? That means it's time for a segment. Three in the key. Three in the key. Three in the key. Three in the key. All right. I'm going to ask you six questions this time. So it's like a, a double three in the key. So that'll put us at a total of nine trivia questions for today. So hopefully we'll have a conclusive winner after this. Um, remember, you have uh, three seconds to answer. Here's the first question for three in the key. Which of these has not made an all-star game? Jeff Teague, David West, Goran Dragic, Josh Smith. Uh, Dragic. No, the, uh, was the second guy you said? West. I think West. Because they're both incorrect. It was Josh Smith. And oh, made an oh I could have sworn he made one in Atlanta. Where did Goron make it? Uh, uh, Phoenix or Miami? Uh, I think Goron, I, Goron was I like, it. I think he got a, uh, I might be totally wrong. Like you're going to be able to look this up afterwards, but I think he got like an injury replacement one with Miami. I think that, that makes sense. Yeah. I was shocked that Josh Smith had never made one. David West has made two actually. Um, huh. The other guys. New Orleans. Made- made one yeah yeah i think i think josh smith like uh when he was with the hawks like the hawks probably weren't good enough to have two all-stars so probably just went to joe johnson that's right you love (laughs) josh smith he was one of your big dudes back in the day he he was great at fantasy until he went to detroit and started playing the three (laughs) (laughs) all right next question who has the worst record in the nba right now Orlando? Houston? Correct. It is Orlando. They are an abysmal uh, 12 and 43 right now. <laughs> yeah, Orlando doesn't really have much going for them. So. <laughs> okay. Question number three. Where is Leandro Barbosa from? Brazil. Brazil. I think Bert came in first. <laughs> Jinx. Bert, Bert is Bert is in a hefty lead. You get to sweep this, Matt. I would I would like to hear the audio on that. I felt like that was a clear tie, but I could be wrong. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. All right, a little bit tougher question. The, these last three questions, a little bit tougher, but really test your knowledge here. What team is Dwayne Dedman on right now? Is he, is he Miami? He is. <laughs> Jeez, yeah, I I had no idea on that. Yeah, he just resurfaced this year. Yeah. I remember I remember because I was actually like um salty because I think he Miami picked him up last year, um, halfway through the season. But it was like, you know, we're you know, speaking of Wiseman, right? Like we're we're signing all these historically we had like five centers on our team and like none of them were playable. And that was like a huge pain. And now we've swung the other way, but we have like one center who can actually play. And I was like, wow, we should, re- like, we could really use a Dwayne Dedman on our team. <laughs> I, 
Yeah, Drew always wanted him too. I was like that he'd be a good fit. Uh, okay, speaking of Miami Heat, what is the name of the Miami Heat mascot? I don't know. Is it Heat? Fireball? <laughs> it's Bernie. Oh, that's pretty good. Clever. Like Clever. <laughs> All right. Well, Bert already has this wrapped up, but Matt, for to salvage, make it a little bit closer. What is Michael Jordan's middle name? Jeffrey. Got it. <laughs> you just need to watch Skip Bayless. Shout out to Skip Bayless. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that does it. For this episode's edition of Three in the Key, thank you guys for playing there. Uh, kind of getting close to wrapping up the show. Um, Bert, you were at Summer League a couple times. Would you go once or twice? Uh, three times now, actually. Yeah, I went this past year, too. Wow. Uh, yeah. What's that like, you know, for those who don't know? And I know you were putting together some some like s- models and stuff to try to compare with the, the rest of the, the assistant GMs and things like a- anything you want to share on that end? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, uh, this past year, I definitely, I went more as like a fan. Like I wasn't trying to impress anyone. Like I did meet up with my old manager with the Pacers, which is cool. You know, I get to see him, but uh, I was kind of just there as a fan watching the games. It's, it's, it's honestly like, it's pretty fun. You have to keep in mind, like the games, are themselves are like meaningless in terms of win loss, but it's, it's your first look at like the rookie class and some like uh, young players who might've not gotten any minutes in the previous years. So I think it's always fun. Like I got to see, um, I think most of the top picks this year actually played, which was nice. Like a couple years ago, I went to see, I went when Zion uh, got drafted and he played like five minutes there was like an earthquake and then he like didn't play the rest of the summer oh, league or whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, 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 it's a lot of fun. Uh, this past year, uh, Kuminga was fun to watch. He uh, basically tried to dunk on like everyone. Like he was trying to posterize someone like every game. So that's, that's exciting. How does Kuminga not make the dunk contest, but JTA does? I'd love to know what goes behind the scenes of who made that decision, or if maybe they asked Kaminga, but he, he declined. I, I, feel, I feel like he, they probably asked him and he declined just because, like, there's no way they decided. Like, Kaminga's clearly more athletic than JTA, and he's a bigger name. So, like, I feel like there's no reason to choose JTA over him unless Kaminga wasn't down. Or Gary Payton, yeah. 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 It's, it's a pretty lackluster field but oh I mean, yeah this is probably the worst dunk contest <laughs> in, like you need there might be good dunkers to be honest but like you need like some star power in dunk contests yeah yeah i i get it people don't want to get hurt this is how it goes these days the three-point contest is really where it's at that's where the the stars show out where do you guys think real quick where do you guys think harden goes if anywhere I think he stays with the Nets this season. I, if I had to bet, I think he probably ends up staying with the Nets just because, like, there's no rush to, like, even if they make the trade for Ben Simmons now, it's not a given that Ben Simmons will be ready for the playoffs, right? He literally hasn't played. I don't know if he's working out or not. I assume he is, but, you know, that's, that could be an issue. And then, like, if he actually wants to go to the Sixers, 
the Sixers are going to have a really tough time like clearing space to sign him. So they probably have to sign and trade him anyway. In which case, like you can get assets for him uh, in the summer anyway, right? You're not necessarily losing him nothing. No, I think that's fair. I, I agree. I don't think he goes anywhere this year, but from a fantasy perspective, I'd love to see him somewhere else. <laughs> I, I remember what I was going to ask because, again, Warriors talk. Um, Kaminga has really impressed me in the sense of, you know, his scouting report was pretty much like, hey, he's super athletic. You know, he's got he's got the anything you would ever want from terms of length and speed and pops and all of that. But they were really, really down on him in, in terms of like IQ and I think, I think motor was a problem in, in some of the scouting reports. Um, but Burr, what do you, what do you like about him moving forward? Yes. Yeah, so I think Kuminga was gen- like last year in the G league, he was relatively inefficient and that's probably a product of playing on like the G league ignite where he was one of the big dogs. He's just like chucking shots, whenever he wants. Um, but I do really like what like we've seen from him so far. Like, I mean, the easy comparison is Giannis. Like, that's the lazy comparison. But, like, honestly, like, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, like, three years from now, Kaminga is budget Giannis, right? He's not quite as, like, overwhelming physically, but he has that same, like, get-to-the-rim mentality, and he seems like enough of a freak athlete to, you know, make that work for him. Um, yeah, I think, like, I'm definitely pretty impressed with him. Like, it would... I was thinking about, I was actually talking to my other friend about this is like uh, at the start of the season, you know, full disclosure, I was very much in like, we should trade everything for another star. Yeah. Me um, too. <laughs> yeah. Um, and like, I guess now, you know, that's not necessarily the case. Uh, I actually, like I said, I do think we should like try to put more of our chips on the table, but it would take a lot for me to like put Kaminga on the table. Um, like it would probably have to be like, and this combined with like Wiggins playing really well, right? Because you'd have to trade Wiggins to match salary. Um, it'd probably have to be like a Paul George tier player or something higher for me to like put Kaminga out there. Hmm. Steve Kerr made the comp uh, Kawhi Leonard not too long ago. <laughs> I like that. I mean, and, and like in terms of like attributes. So, yeah, I mean, he's um, like an interesting thing. Uh, I could see him making a splash as a bench player this playoffs i'm actually really excited to see how he does this playoffs um because that's where like the rubber meets the road right like currently he's kind of this random bench player that's may or may not be on the scouting reports he's doing these like spin moves and like fakes under the basket to get to the room which is like great like i think he has people like he's shown more footwork than you would think of like from like a raw athletic prospect right but like, is that going to work when he is on the scouting report and like the games matter a ton more in the playoffs? I think that'll be super interesting to see. Um, but yeah, like I think currently the Warriors like prop best lineup is probably the you know starters, uh, you know the old death lineup with Wiggins mm-hmm. and then probably Otto Porter um, when they're going small. Okay. Um, but like. I could see that changing, you know, if Kuminga continues to develop, he might, you know, Porter's probably going to leave this summer anyway, but um, like, I think there's definitely a spot for him because we don't really have that guy. Like we're actually, the Warriors are very good at getting to the rim and finishing, but it's not like off of the dribble. 
right like it's it's all off like cuts and like step multiple defenders and stuff so like i think he fits that role pretty well as a guy that can put his head down and get to the room very interesting yeah man for a warriors podcast uh man we've we've, there's so much to cover with we didn't even talk much about jordan Poole, who I also owe an apology too because I just hated. You need him. to write that man a letter. I I hated him coming out of Michigan. I was like, I can't. What are we doing with this kid? I watched him play. He got. We shut him down. Michigan State shut him down. I was like, what did the? But he's he's been unbelievable. Um, I I can't say anything bad about him right now. And Otto Porter, what a signing that was. Uh, Bielitsa, I think is having. I looked some of his analytic numbers. He's having one of his best seasons in terms of actually production plus mine. I don't know, but um, he's looking really good. They, the Warriors that man, that other game last week against the Spurs, when we were down X amount late, late in the fourth quarter, like it was, we wouldn't, we had like nine active players and just to see them grind out and fight and just the, the grit from those those young guys was super impressive. Um, I mean, Kayvon Looney wasn't even on the floor, and he's been really underrated this year, I think. But so yeah. many so many cool things of the Warriors to talk about. And, uh, we'll definitely talk more Warriors as we move through. Football is just finishing up, so definitely more Warriors to talk soon. Yeah, I'll just say uh, I hope that Moses Moody takes Damian Lee's minutes. Damian <laughs> Lee is a fine as like a fringe rotation player, but like, please, please play Moody more. <laughs> I agree. I, I go so back and forth because for the most of the time, I can't stand Damian Lee on the floor. And then he, he shows up one or two random games and he puts the team on his back. I'm like, well, I guess he's kind of legit. And, but I agree. I think Moody, Moody's got a lot of good intangibles. He's young, he's mature. Young and mature, right? Um, yeah, I mean, if he can hit open threes and basically, like, he can play, he's he's good enough to be in the rotation right now in that he's hitting open threes and hustling on defense. Like, that's that's what that's the definition of a three and D player, right? And like, we'll see if the shot is as good as it looked in recent games. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's the blueprint is there for him to be a rotation player for sure. Well, Matt, anything else to wrap up? No, thanks, Bert, for coming on. I, I actually, I mean, I knew you interned with the Pacers, but I didn't know how how deep you've gone into it. So it was cool to get that perspective. I'm usually not a big analytics guy, but hearing the the reality of it is pretty cool. I think uh, our our listeners now, or or at least our Joe Bala's listeners, are going to try to look up those stats and see <laughs> who they can draft or pick up. Uh, next year i know matt's like which stat should i look up all right i'm gonna go pick up the guy <laughs> best one well, on- no i was i was trying to figure out like where Harden, westbrook curry some of the big names fall um just for fun to see like if the stars that everyone knows about are really the the most efficient guys yeah i will say like these metrics don't necessarily translate to fantasy basketball um it might help in terms of like just figuring out who is slated for a breakout if they get more minutes or like who the coaches might like if they use these numbers at all but like fantasy is all about the box score right which uh, doesn't necessarily isn't necessarily the same thing like jared rip vanderbilt's rebounding rate right yeah <laughs> <laughs> well it's been nice having you bert i got 
the two Oregonians here now, you know, the, the two guys who started the trade frenzy of Siakam and Booker. Um, so we'll, we'll get you guys on again, or we'll get Bird on again soon. Uh, I hate February, so because there's just nothing on after the Super Bowl. So we'll definitely get some more podcasts here. But Bird, we, we enjoyed having you. Thanks for hopping on. Yeah, thanks for having me. And I'll just say that uh, Matt and I did nothing wrong. I can't believe we got vetoed so many times, but I'm glad I got more picks. <laughs> <laughs> I agree, but um, glad we were able to, to come to a, a deal. All right. Thank you guys for listening. We'll see you next time. <laughs>